I'm not someone who naturally likes bathroom humor. I'm not naturally someone who finds it funny. You know, I'll hear people say, oh, everybody, you know, it's kind of the common denominator. Everybody can find, you know, crude bathroom humor funny. I don't have a problem with it. That's not true. Actually, I feel like there's this just natural part of me that when I hear bathroom humor, I'm like, shut up. We don't talk about that. We don't joke about that. That's kind of my natural feeling, honestly. I don't know what it is. It's not some weird inner Victorian need to censor anybody or control anybody or anything like that. But I kind of am of this opinion that, you know, let's just pretend that we are all balls of light floating in the heavens, and we don't need to talk about what goes on behind that closed door in the bathroom. And that was the funny thing about the whole bathroom controversy a few years ago, which makes it sound so important when really it's just, can you imagine something dumber for us to have had some controversial talking point, you know, the fact that it was being talked about so much, talked about enough to actually be maybe addressed in a history book. Somebody's going to write about that, about the bathroom controversy, and it's going to sound very serious. Oh, yes, I remember the bathroom controversy. You know, it's, it's you can't say that and be serious about it, even though it was this very heated topic of discussion. And my take on it, you know, I always have these hot takes four years later, but my hot take on that was, you know, I don't want to use the restroom with anybody. And as much as I don't like bathroom humor and actually don't, it's it's not comfortable comfortable for me to talk about, you know, my own bathroom activities. And I certainly don't want to hear about the bathroom activities of others. Despite that, the very first night school episode, the very first episode of this sub show night school was about the bathroom. I think a couple of them were, I think I've talked about this many times and I've probably prefaced it every time with this kind of, I don't, I don't like to talk about the bathroom. I don't like to talk about what I do in the bathroom, but listen to me talk about something I do. Listen to me talk about what goes on in the bathroom. You know, I always do this, I, I imagine. Uh, but you know, it's just not something I naturally gravitate toward and I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to discuss it. Uh, whatever it is, whatever that is in me that thinks that we shouldn't talk about that. I do rebel against it, though. I do try to rebel against that part of me and like occasionally find humor or joy or just interesting conversation in talking about the bathroom. Uh, But it's definitely not something I can do all the time. But yeah, I don't like to use the bathroom with with anybody. As I've candidly admitted on this show, uh, I'm rather pee shy and I prefer not to be in a restroom with anybody. And I don't like the idea of being in the restroom with women, you know, regardless of the whole transgender aspect. I don't know. Uh, I just don't want to share a a public restroom with anybody, but that includes women, that includes men. I don't want to be around people. And when I'm walking to a restroom and there's somebody in front of me, say it's at a shopping mall and you go down that weird hallway, which... Malls always have some weird hallway that goes to the restroom, and it always just seems like a crime is waiting to take place. But as you're walking down that hall, and say there's somebody in front of you, and like you're just thinking, God, it's like, I, I hope he doesn't... Suddenly they go in the bathroom, and you're like, fuck! My heart just sinks when someone's like walking in front of me, and they go to the same bathroom I'm going to. I'm just like, fuck! There better be an open stall so I don't have to 
stand urinal to urinal with that person. That doesn't even really make sense. Urinal to urinal. I don't want to stand at the urinal next to that person. Uh, so I don't want to use the restroom with anybody. That's just my feeling on it. And if you've ever, you know, worked at a place that has a public restroom, it's like, why not just spend the extra money and build a single single occupancy restroom here? Why not just do that? Buy, a, you know, a cheaper refrigerator. You know, don't, uh, you know, there's ways that you can cut expenses within a business that would allow you to build a single occupancy bathroom and make people like me happy. Because it does make me happy. When I see a, that a place has a single occupancy restroom, I'm just like, peace and freedom. Not to do anything. All I want to do is go to the bathroom. It's just like the argument they used for transgender people, where it's like, they just want to go to the bathroom. It's the same thing for me. I just want to go to the bathroom. I would prefer to do it around nobody. Uh, you know, years ago, I think I must have been 15, this friend of mine asked me, he, he said, uh, you know, and once again, like, this is me rebelling against myself. This is me rebelling against myself by even discussing this, because I actually don't approve, endorse, or think it's okay to talk about bathroom activities, even indirectly. Even if you're not specifically talking about a real thing you did in the restroom or a real thing you do, even if you're not talking about an actual bathroom experience, I think even talking about bathroom experiences hypothetically isn't okay. And just because I'm doing it right now doesn't make it okay. But I'm going to do it a little bit. I have to kind of rebel against myself. It's like using a muscle and it gets sore. I have to get my bathroom, uh, just my bathroom muscle a little bit sore here. <laughs> Which, that sounds really... <laughs> I have to get my bathroom muscle sore. Interpret that how you want, but I didn't mean it. Uh, <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. Uh, but uh, yeah, this friend asked me when I was about fifteen. He was like, you know, when you take a shit, sometimes do you just sit there for a while after you're done on the toilet and just keep reading? And I was like, uh, yeah. Now you mention it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I actually do. And I remember he goes, "You sick fuck!" Like, isn't that's disgusting? You just like hover over, you know. And uh, I remember being taken aback. It was like this setup that I didn't... I thought it was like a weird like friend confessional thing, which I don't really like. Again, I don't like to talk about the bathroom. I don't... Even as a kid, even at those vulnerable, you know, 12 years old, whatever, junior high, going through life changes, you know, I still... I didn't like to have these weird like heart-to-heart -heart conversations during sleepovers or anything like that. And this wasn't anything like that. It was just, it came out of nowhere. But it did have this weird, like, confessional heart-to-heart kind of setup to it where it was like, do you ever, uh, you know, just kind of hang out on the toilet when you're done with your business and just keep reading for a while? And it was like, the way that the way it was presented to me was as if this person, this person had to have done that. You don't make up a weird, crude joke like that without having done that yourself. You know, and I mean, who the hell, I can't imagine anybody hasn't done that. But I just, I was like, sure, and then I got called out, and it was almost like, the way it was proposed, the way it was set up, it was almost like you would have expected uh, the person to say, you know, like, hey man, it's, it's like you're in junior high, going through puberty, and your friend's like, hey man, do you ever like, uh, 
Do you ever like stick your hand down your pants and you know, like it kind of it feels different, and you're like, now that you mention it, me too. You know, it's like not that I ever had that kind of conversation, or even just like I mean, the way it was set up too, it was even something you'd expect. Like, you ever uh, when you're watching Baywatch, uh, you ever uh, notice the male lifeguards' chests too? It's almost like that's what he was asking me, but instead it was about staying on the toilet after you're done shitting and continuing to read. I hope, I hope, I hope that continuing to read is a part of it because I, I agree that if you just like stay, <clears throat> excuse me, if you just stay on the toilet and you're not reading or doing anything, but you're just sitting on the toilet, I don't know if it's some form of meditation or what it is. Uh, that makes you a sick fuck. If you're not doing anything, but if you're just kind of in- comfortable and engrossed in a book or whatever you're reading, a magazine article. I found this really good magazine article this morning. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, it, but the, thinking back, because this wasn't like a good friend of mine, like a, like a close childhood friend. It, was, it just kind of came out of nowhere. And uh, it wasn't the sort of humor... You know, like these weren't the sort of jokes that we made. Uh, this isn't, isn't somebody I talk to anymore. I don't know what he's up to. Not a bad person either. But I remember that joke just it took me aback because it was it was almost like setting it up like uh, yeah, like there was like kind of making you vulnerable about something, like admitting some truth himself, and then getting you to admit it, like. You have a look at the the male lifeguards' chests on Baywatch. The just as nice as the women's. And then if I had been like, now that you mention it, me too. I feel the same way. Then it's like, yeah, well you're a. F- oh, you think so? You well, you're a. F-. You know, it's like that sort of thing. Uh, but no, it was about shitting. And I still remember it. You know, I remember a lot of stupid things. I remember a lot of pointless interactions, random things I said, random things other people said. And I forget things, too. I remember that I forget things. I'll put it that way. I remember sometimes that I have forgotten other things. And sometimes I forget that I remember things. And then I'll just suddenly remember it. So it goes both ways. And this is definitely an example of something that I forgot that I remembered. And I thought of it this morning, actually. I was like, that was a weird, a weird, like, what's the name of that thing kids said? Uh, psych. It's like that sort of thing. It, it's basically the same idea as being like, psych. You ever look at the male, uh, you ever look at the male lifeguard's chests on Baywatch? They didn't have to get surgery for their chests. You ever you ever think uh, David Hasselhoff's chest is you know maybe a little nicer than uh, Yasmin Bleeth? Uh, that's a good disgusting name to say. Yasmin Bleeth. Saying it like that. Yasmin. Uh, sorry. Yasmin Bleeth. You gotta breathe on the mic. You gotta breathe when you say Bleeth. It's hard not to. There's just some things that you say. This is a nice mic, but it's not one of those, uh, you know, radio. It's not like a, what do you call it, like a compressor mic or anything. I don't have one of those vocal shields, one of those, like, netting shields in front of my face. So I've noticed sometimes if I say a P, P is the worst. P pops. Just like, uh, just like the word pops, you know, the letter P itself pops if you're not careful. 
So I'm sure on many of these school nights, on many school nights over the years, there's a lot of whenever I say P words. And then when you say it's very breathy. Yeah, I hear they call her breathy Yasmin Bleeth. She's just a breathy Bleeth. <laughs> Sounds like some old thing they, they used to say hundreds of years ago. There's some crazy villager. He's just a breathing Bleeth. Oh, yes, he's just a breathing Bleeth. Oh, he's the town drunkard and he's a breathing Bleeth. Don't listen to a word he says. That breathing Bleeth. Yasmin Bleeth. I believe she's Jewish, though. I believe so. Yasmin. She was my introduction to the name Yasmin. I should say that. If I ever meet Yasmin Bleeth, I should say, you were my, you were my first. And if you're like, what do you mean? She thinks I'm going in some disgusting direction. And I would say, uh, you were the first Yasmin I ever heard of. You were my first. And I would say one of the only. I mean, I can't think of another Yasmin offhand. I know she introduced me to the name, and that that led me to believe it is a name. You know what I mean? Like, because of Yasmin Bleeth, I learned that Yasmin could be a name. She introduced me to the sheer possibility of Yasmin Bleeth, you know, or of... I mean, she introduced me to Bleeth as well. I mean, this woman is practically a, uh, a pioneer on multiple fronts, on both, both the first name and the last name. She uh, was something of a pioneer, because she introduced many people. I know I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone in this when I say that Yasmin Bleeth introduced many people to the just the mere concept of being named Yasmin or being named Bleeth, a whole family of Bleeths. Sometimes when I take a break to take a sip of something, I make sure that it's audible so that it doesn't sound like I'm just lost for words. Although I do think I would benefit from that. I'm, I think I'm someone who would benefit just taking a pause while I'm talking on this show. Because it's what I do normally, you know, it's what I would do normally in life. And it's weird to do a show that's just nonstop talking and to not be a person who talks nonstop. You know, I don't. I don't just talk nonstop when I'm around people. I do take pauses. So why don't I do it on here where it matters? Because, you know, we all have this experience where everything we've ever said that we can remember. Once again, it becomes, you know, what have we uh, forgotten that we remember? And what have we remembered that we forgot? Yasmin Bleething. But uh, somebody probably made that joke. I feel like I've heard that before. Using bleeth as a verb, bleething. If I were to define it, assuming it's not already defined, how I would define bleething would be the act of pioneering and introducing multiple names to an entire country, to an entire television audience. And it worked really well, too, because she was hot. She was my favorite. You know, I was more a fan of her than Pamela Anderson. I was more of a Yasmin Bleeth kind of guy. I just, you know, as much as, and as hot as she was, though, just the, the fact alone that, that she was bleeding, <laughs> which sounds disgusting. Sounds like, <laughs> sounds like someone who doesn't want to say a dirty word. 
or it sounds like a sort of like a censored word in a comic strip, like bleeth. I guess because it sounds like bleep. That's that makes the joke stupid. That makes me not like my joke anymore. To re- to realize that I had associated bleeth with a censored word because it sounds like bleep. Yasmin bleep. I hope someone's made that joke, someone who was jealous of her. Because you know there had to be jealousy on the set of Baywatch. I hope there was jealousy. Uh, the, the males and females were uh, jealous against each other. There was some competition because, uh, you know, David Hasselhoff's chest was so nice. The male lifeguards had such nice chests. And they'd done a lot of work. You know, those guys, they, they did a lot of work to get on that show. You know, it's not just like being like a fat character actor, you know, uh, who I, I, you know, I love fat character actors. I didn't mean that to sound harsh, but still like a fat character actor. It's like, just don't lose weight. Keep doing what you're doing. Show up on set, you know, to be on Baywatch, you know, you got to work out, you got to do things and you end up with a really nice chest as both a male lifeguard and a female lifeguard. But the male lifeguards didn't get nearly the amount of attention for their chests. So I bet there was a lot of competition, a lot of jealousy. And this is all just a really elaborate setup for the fact that I was going to say Yasmin Bleep. Because one of those jealous male lifeguards, you know behind her back. They're over by the deli tray. Uh, they're over, they're, you know, in between takes. They're over by the deli tray, which... You know, has salami, which has picked up a little bit of uh, sand, you know, that, you know, that sand that blows around the beach, you know, some of it landed on the salami and they're over there and they're feeling just a little jealous uh, over the attention that, you know, Pamela and Yasmin are getting, which are two names you can't really say, they don't flow together, Pamela and Yasmin, you gotta like do... You got to do like different things with your mouth to say those names and it makes it not fun. But anyway, someone's sitting there and there's like, you know what? Like she gets so much attention just for doing nothing. You know, I think they should call her Laz- Yasmin Bleep. There's so many reasons why I shouldn't have made that joke. There were so many like opportunities along the way to just stop that elaborate long setup. And I just, you know, I did it anyway. I did it anyway. Nike said just do it, so I did it anyway. I guess you're not doing it anyway if someone tells you to do it, though. You're just doing it. That's the thing people get off on, though. People build these elaborate... I don't know. It's not even elaborate. I'm not going to give it the... dig. I'm not going to dignify it by saying it's some sort of elaborate process or anything like that. I think it's just some weird, petty thing people do where they really like to believe that they are somehow defying the odds or, you know, someone told them they couldn't do it and they're proving them wrong anyway. You see it in almost every motivational story where it's like, they said I couldn't walk. Look at me now, I'm running a marathon. You know, people, they love that story and there's endless variations of that story on TV and those have become the, you know, kind of the popular, not myths, because they're often true, 
uh, but they become kind of the lore of our time in the same way that, you know, most of the older mythologies and different cultures, it's like you're going to have a dragon somewhere in the story. doesn't matter if it's China. doesn't matter if it's a European, if it's European folklore. doesn't matter if it's Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter. doesn't matter if it's Mesopotamia. Uh, you're going to end up with a dragon in the story. You're going to end up with a hero. You're going to end up with, you know, dark and light and this and that. And those are the old stories. And there's a reason why certain archetypes, certain things spread throughout older folklore. Uh, but nowadays, it's like the stories that we like. If you were to look back through, you know, a future lens on what we do now, what we've done in really the age of TV, age of, of yeah, let's uh, stick with me, because you don't really see this on the internet. The internet's more like, look at this guy's leg and the bone broke through because he tried to, like, parkour or whatever. You know, that's more of what we see online. But TV, TV shows being the way they are, it's often like, look at this guy overcoming the odds. They told him he couldn't walk. They told her she'd never be on American Idol. They told her that she would never be able to be the winner of American Idol and a single mother and look at her. And you see just people in their day-to-day lives, people who just grind through life. And uh, this all sounds really kind of like condescending, like I don't think it's a good thing or I'm judging people for doing this. And God knows I do it myself. I mean, it's where all of our inward rebellion comes from. We all think that we're rebelling against some outside force. And you saw it in the... As, as soon as, like, the narcissism of the digital age broke out in full bloom, you know, with social media and stuff, you remember, like, all the celebrities, like, you know, Justin Bieber-type characters. Uh, these these Justin Bieber-type characters. Uh, you saw them, like, coming out, like, you know, I, I, I just like to thank my haters for giving me the motivation. You know, I just, I just like to, you know, I'd actually like to thank... Michael Jordan fucking did that. You know, the most successful basketball player ever. At his Hall of Fame acceptance speech, he infamously talked shit about his high school coach who didn't put him on varsity, and you know, he, he basically gave shout-outs to the people who he felt tried to hold him back or like didn't recognize his talent, and there's a lot of people who do that. It's this kind of petty, spiteful thing where you're like, man, you're the best. But then that is what often motivates people, and that's why I say I'm not trying to be condescending, because I think having that, even if it's not real, it gives you this sense of purpose or a story. Because let's say you are just like, you're someone who just goes to work, comes home, takes care of your kids, goes to bed. You know, once in a while, you do something you enjoy in life, but for the most part, it's just a grind. And that's how people get depressed, that's how they just feel unfulfilled. You know, especially if their kids aren't perfect. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what people do. I don't know what people do with their lives. Uh, but you know, what might give them a sense of purpose is like someone tried to hold me down. Someone tried to hold me down. It's me against the world. Just me and my uh, my dreams, and me and my dreams against the world. Uh, but you know, you get, you have that sort of attitude everywhere. I mean, you'll see people walking around with t-shirts that just say things like that bumper stickers all the time. They're just like, you ain't going to tell me what to do. Cause I'm a girl who drives a Jeep. And of course all the men, like they, I think the, sh- the shirts are something you particularly see on men where it's like, I'm just a no nonsense, truth telling son of a gun. 
uh, there's that whole thing. But it, it really, that's one idea that humans like because it's mutated into so many different avenues because it's like something a biker can do like some weekend warrior like blue collar dad can wear that shirt that says like i'm just a uh you know like a steel hammering beer drinking good dad son of a gun you know it's like son of a bitch they'll even say the shirts will even you know have cuss words because you got you know you got to rebel against your haters you got to have swear words on your shirt uh, your haters will never take you seriously if you don't have, you know, bleeped out words. Once again, bleeped out words, uh, bleeped out shirts. Uh, but uh, you have that that sort of person. But it's like also it's also why people get into like punk rock or even why people kind of growing up there were a lot of kids who started to get into rap. Like my generation was the first generation where like the entire school was like, we're more into rap. We're more into rap. Because my sister's age, she was about seven years older, and when she was in junior high and high school, I mean, that was the age of grunge, you know, that that phase of quote-unquote alternative rock. So they were into that. Like, pretty much it was a consensus. It was like, this is what's cool right now. This is what we are all into. And that was obviously their form of rebellion. You know, we're into this music and this rebellion. Music is what people latch on to the most when they start to rebel, especially as teenagers. Uh, so, you know, there's that. But then by the time, you know, seven years later, it was my, I was in that age range, junior high and high school. It was like, we listen to rap. And then that was the form of rebellion because, of course, gangster rap was big. So if you're, uh, you know, a kid from the suburbs, you know, how you, how you tell your haters to fuck off and how you... Uh, how you subvert everything that's expected of you is to you buy a Tupac CD and wear a pair of cargo pants that are a little bit too big for you. You know, that was how we rebelled. <laughs> a juvenile CD. A juvenile CD, it'll fit, you can fit two juvenile CDs in your cargo pockets like it's nothing. You won't even know anything's in there. Uh, so that's how, you know, people rebel. And, of course, kids get into punk you know, it's like, oh, I discovered punk. You know, this this is an opportunity. I'm gonna look different. I'm gonna I'm gonna learn some things that I can. You know, I don't know. I don't know if that's what people think when they get into punk. I'm gonna learn some things. But it's all part of that same thing. But we continue to do it, and it just becomes kind of someone's story where it's like I've, you know, fighting this. And then, as I've said before, it's like what I learned as someone who's just got a natural need to rebel and has, you know, it's not like I'm diagnosably oppositional oppositionally defiant it's not like i actually have that disorder but i always do feel that little part of me kind of kicking in and being like yeah i'm not gonna do what you expect of me for no other reason than it's what you expect of me that's really the only motivation it's like oh you want this from me and it's almost like that classic you know like bad guy thing that goes that happens in movies where like two characters in an argument and it's like not necessarily a bad guy thing but it's just it's kind of that cartoony old-timey thing where it's like well uh you know you're driving me to the mall i'm not driving you to the mall i've got to go to school well you're driving me to the mall and uh no uh nope nope I'm, i'm going to school and it's like you're going to school and it's like, no, I'm driving you to the mall. Oh, wait. You know, it's like that that thing where it's like you just use that reverse psychology 
And you can really like trick people that way. You can trick kids into like getting into things and that gets into conspiracy theories. And I don't know that movements in youth culture, the things that young people do are necessarily orchestrated by anybody. Maybe people who are trying to make money. You know, obviously there are ways that things are marketed. Products are marketed. Uh, but uh, I don't necessarily think there's some grand conspiracy. And I think if it were the government trying to influence kids, like, you know, I, I don't think the government is, is being like, well, uh, you know, why don't you, you know, tuck your shirt in and uh, don't put your elbows on the table and listen to, you know, good, wholesome music. I don't think I don't think that's deliberately what's being communicated so that kids in turn will go, yeah, well, I'm going to go buy a Sex Pistols CD and a Dr. Dre album and uh, see you later. You know, I don't think they're gearing kids towards that. I mean, I really I, I always go back to that quote and I can't even pronounce the guy's name. He, he was a former secretary of state. The big new something Owski. You know, I'm an ignorant person. I know some things, but I, I don't remember things like that. I remember Yasmin Bleeth, but I don't remember this former Secretary of State Zbigniew. I know his name is something like that, if I'm even pronouncing that correctly. Uh, as Yas, I'll put it this way: <laughs> screw him. You know, I'm going to rebel against the idea of attributing quotes to the proper. Uh, <laughs> to the proper speaker. As Yasmin Bleeth once said, you know, history is more the product of chaos than conspiracy. When Yasmin Bleeth was head of state, she said, history is more the product of chaos than conspiracy. And that resonated with me when I heard it. When Zbigniew Bleeth, Owski, said that, uh, I, it resonated with me. I was like, holy shit, yeah, because we like to believe that it's all been orchestrated. And I feel like a lot of conspiracy happens after the fact. You know, it's like the idea of history books being rewritten by the victor, or just being written, period. The people who have documented what happened were the people who were in a position of power, and therefore it's hard to trust, you know, most information that we've been given. And it's what leads to, like, pointless teenage rebellions. It's like, my history book lied to me. My history book lied, um, just like my parents. You know, that's such a common attitude. And there's truth to it. I mean, that's the thing, is, is that there's truth to it. And it's why we as kids do go through some stupid punk phase. It's why we as kids do try to find these opportunities to rebel. Because we do know a certain amount of it is bullshit. And, you know, but but it's just, it, the deeper you go, you don't really find anything. Like, if that's your point, like, oh, my history book lied to me. It's like, well, good luck really, you know, accepting any information ever again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that's sort of the rabbit hole you fall down, where it's like... uh you know, when you, when you figure out like, oh yeah, yeah, all history is written by the people who, you know, had a stake in those events and had the power to describe those events, if not as they saw them, which even if it was honestly as the victor saw it, that would still be distorted because we all, you know, we all lack the full perspective. Uh, but the fact that they probably are deliberately also twisting things just makes it a complete mess. So it makes total sense why kids are like, oh, this is all bullshit, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I also think that as part of that process, as part of like the more immature like side of you that is rebelling and questioning, you have a tendency to think that it was all planned. 
You're like, oh, you know, these people did this and it's all bullshit and it's all lies. And and these people like you like to imagine that there's just this very strict structure to to everything and that you know this nefarious group planned this and these people came up with this idea and they were working together when so much of it is just like people reacting to chaos as it happened and people doing shitty things within that chaos it's not like because chaos was actually the the true uh You know, just because things were ruled more by chaos than an actual plan or strategy or conspiracy doesn't make them any more positive or better. Just because shitty things have happened throughout time as some sort of product of just the chaos of existence, it doesn't somehow make them okay. But I think it's harder for people to deal with the fact that they may just be a product of some sort of naturally occurring chaos some sort of, you know, you know, ant race. I think about when I was growing up and whenever you'd see static on a TV, someone, I think this happened once, but it stayed in my head, the things you remember. Uh, and uh, someone said, look, it's an ant race. You know, when you just see a, t- like a, a screen of TV static, he was like, it's an ant race. And I feel like that's exactly what it is. It's the ant race. And People try to find order and they create these systems and, you know, hold on to whatever they can, build whatever they can while the ant race is going on. They are part of the ant race and the ant race is going on all around them. And uh, so it's not as if there's some grand plot, you know, by certain ants. They'd like you to believe that. They'd like to do that. Trust me, there's a lot of those ants who would love to be part of some grand plot, but really, it turns out they're not even ants. They're just static on a TV screen in a, in a family living room, being stared at by a kid who, who's not old enough to turn the to know how to turn the Nintendo on. You know, it's like that's really what we're dealing with. <laughs> you know, that's that's really the natural state of the world, and uh, pretty soon that kid's gonna learn how to play that Nintendo. And that kid's going to learn that there are names out there, like Yasmin, like Bleeth. And, uh, you know, those are the things the kid's going to remember their entire life. Something, you know, 90 years old. Someone's going to say, Grandpa, what'd you learn? What'd you learn about life in all your 90 years on this planet, Grandpa? And Grandpa's going to say, well... I learned how to turn on a Nintendo, and I learned about the name Yasmin and the name Bleeth, combined and separate. I'd love to meet a family like that where the grandchild has a New York accent and the grandpa has some kind of, you know, grandpa's from Georgia. That exists. I mean, we're in America. That possibility exists. Just like the name Yasmin Bleeth. This land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave, this golden land 
to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children